morning, Journey. Good to see you all. My name's Chris. Really glad to be with you. I was, this was at the first service, I was standing over here uh, looking out at all of the people who were there then. And, and I was just struck by one, my heart loving all of you. But I, I just came to this realization as I was doing that too. As much as we love you and that, that we're glad you're here, like there's just something beyond that, the way that God loves you. We can't even fathom it. And so I was standing back here again this time and I was just asking God to just impress that upon me again and and again I was I was just moved by this reminder of of how loved we all are by God and I think we show up here uh, on some level hoping to be reminded of that so maybe that's the only thing you needed to to hear today and be reminded of Uh, I know I needed it so a little sermon to myself back there behind the curtain and and now here I am to share with all of you so what what we're doing is we're continuing a series that we're calling the way of Jesus, radical love in action. And we spent the last three weeks uh, moving through a, a series within a series focused on the generosity of Jesus. And so if you missed any of those three messages, you can go and, and check those out online and catch up. But we're gonna kind of transition out of that into something else uh, that connects us to the way of Jesus. And so this morning, what we're gonna do is we're gonna follow the way of Jesus as he prays and teaches us to pray. Seems like a pretty important thing if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus to have some understanding of prayer and what that might mean for us. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read from Luke uh, 11, one through 13. He's gonna talk about prayer in there. Then I'm gonna pray because that's what you do during a sermon when you're gonna teach on prayer. And then we're gonna navigate this passage together and then we're gonna all pray together and we'll move outside of our comfort zones. But don't be scared just yet. I won't make you interact with anybody, okay? So you've got that coming for you. How does that sound for a movement this morning? Everybody good with that? Yeah, you are now until you know what's gonna happen. But here we go. We'll, we'll start off in Luke 11, beginning in verse one. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed, I can't help you. But I tell you this, Though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened." You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you are a, a God who is holy, that you are a God who loves us. Thank you for the opportunity to gather in this space and to ask you, just as the disciples asked Jesus, to teach us to pray. And so I pray that we would come before you today with a, a humble, teachable heart. And I pray that you would speak to us about prayer and that you would speak to us about being in intimate relationship and communion with you, God. And so open us to new ways of imagining that. Stretch us, shape us, mold us into your followers who love you deeply and want to be with you in prayer. I pray that you would give me your words to speak this morning, God. I pray that I wouldn't say anything that's not for you or from you. And everything that we do here this morning would make much of you and honor you and glorify you and that we would fall more in love with you today. We love you. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so here we find the disciples peeping in on Jesus as he's praying, right? Like they're doing a little bit of eavesdropping, I guess, as he's praying by himself. And so then they come to him after they see him finish up praying and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he responds to their request by, by giving them what's come to be known as the Lord's Prayer. If you're familiar with that, if you've been around church much at all, you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer. We'll get to that in a bit. And he follows that up with this crazy story about some friend showing up at midnight looking for bread. And then the next thing you know, he transitions into these like pithy quid pro quo statements, right? And it's like, if you do this, you'll get that. If you do this, you'll get that. If you do this, you'll get that, right? And that's this flow that happens. But before we step into Jesus's teaching on prayer and the way that he's praying, uh, I want us to ask ourselves a few questions. I want you to have these at the front of your mind because if, again, if you've spent any time around church or you've spent any time around faith, you've been told about prayer before. You've interacted with prayer. You've been told to pray, all of these things. And so I wanna ask us this. What is prayer? Just think about it. Just hold it in front of you. What is prayer? Why do we pray? How do we pray? What is the purpose of praying? Questions maybe that we don't typically ask ourselves or spend time reflecting on if we've been walking for Jesus for an extended period of time. And so with those questions uh, like probing us as we dive in, the next question I ask is then why are the disciples asking Jesus to pray? Shouldn't they know how to pray? Haven't they spent their lives up to this point praying and watching others pray? Haven't they been around prayer? What's the difference this time? I think the difference is this time, they know they want to learn to become like Jesus, and so they want to learn to pray like him. And so do we. I'm just gonna say that on our behalf. So do we, right? We, we want to know the way of Jesus as well. We want to pray like Jesus prays. And so here, if you're like, all right, how, what do I do with this at this point in time, right? It's this, let this free you. The disciples of Jesus literally had to ask Jesus to teach them to pray. There is space for us to learn how to pray. You don't have to show up here on this day and be the most professional church prayer of all. Wherever you are is great because we're all learning to pray and Jesus longs to teach us in that as well. So here's what we know about prayer. Prayer to its core is about transformation. To pray is to change, as Richard Foster says. 
Something happens internally and something happens externally, but there is transformation taking place. And I think we tend to overlook that it often happens internally as well. My friend Jared, he said it like this. He saw a bumper sticker that read, prayer changes things. You ever seen that one, right? Prayer changes things. And he wrote to me and he said this. He said, I saw the bumper sticker that said prayer changes things. And that's true, but it's never the thing we think. It's always us. We want prayer to be an earthquake, immediately changing the topography of reality. But really it's water over rocks, smoothing us out over time. Our place doesn't change, our situation may not change in a way we notice or appreciate, but no one can deny canyons once they're formed. I love that picture of prayer, this slow working of a canyon forming and now we have the flow. I've had the unique experience of teaching third graders how to read. Uh, So hats off to all of you who've spent any time with third graders or just children in general, great job. Uh, so I, I got my degree in elementary ed, and so I was, I was spending time in a classroom with third graders, and we were teaching them to read. And, and what was just, as I've reflected on that, what's so interesting is, is how slow the process becomes and, and how detailed the process becomes. When you're sitting with a young child who's learning to read, you, you sound out words together. You talk about what the sentence structure means. You try and reflect on what it is that they've read and if they can remember it at all. Is there, is there any type of recall going on? They ask questions about punctuation or why this would go there. And it's this, this real intimate, patient process of learning to read. And I think that's how Jesus wants to teach us to pray. He wants to come alongside of us and he wants to teach us slowly. He's patient with us. He wants to show us what it looks like and what to say and how to say it and the state of our heart in that place. And so certainly, as we all know, there are times in prayer where it's a raw outpouring of emotion or we're, we're crying out to God to help us, right? Sometimes our best prayer is simply help, right? Sometimes that's true. But E. Stanley Jones says it like this. He says, prayer is not an occasional exercise to which you turn now and then. It is a life attitude. It's something that is in the way of who we are. It's in our blood. So if prayer is to shape and change the way we live, right, a long introduction in all of this, right, then the idea is, well, then how do we learn to pray? Still, we don't have the answer to that just yet, because this is the same thing the disciples wanted to know. They wanted to know how to pray after they watched Jesus do it, and what Jesus didn't do is he didn't go, oh, you want me to teach you to pray? Well, it's easy. Just say whatever comes to mind. Nope, didn't do that, or like what I've heard most of my life, just have a conversation with God. If you wanna pray, just have a conversation with God. And now in my 33rd year, I look back and I find out that wasn't actually all that helpful to teaching me how to pray because I'm not the best barometer of deciding how to guide my prayers to God. Instead of doing all of that, what he did is he taught them the Lord's Prayer which is interesting because it's a pattern of prayer that's meant to shape our own prayer habits. He says pray like this and then he shows us what to say and what that looks like and so we must learn this prayer and then let God use it 
to set about a change in our priorities in our time in prayer. And I, don't, I wouldn't say that this minimizes, right, like the, the messes we find ourselves in that we need to pray through, or it's not meant to squelch our desires that we have that we leave before God, but it puts life in perspective. And when we listen to it and look at it through the lens of Jesus, it's a perspective that aligns with the kingdom of God that Jesus is announcing. There's something different this prayer is meant to do and be. The way in which he prays is bringing about something that we participate in. But again, if that's true, it's so intriguing to me that the disciples are trying to learn how to pray. Like they've been following him around and seeing him do these things and they're still trying to learn it, yet they had already prayed. As Jewish boys growing up, they prayed the Psalms. They had prayers for themselves right, that they read and, and prayed. They had the 18 benedictions of Jewish prayer. They had prayers that had words for them to pray. So they grew up around prayer and around people praying, but they saw and experienced something different in the way that Jesus prayed. And that's what I want us to try and access this morning. I want you to imagine you were there with the disciples and you saw Jesus praying. And what was it that drew you to him to say, teach me to pray this way, Jesus? Like, I want you to get a hold of the whole person of Jesus, not just these words of Jesus that he has. Because Jesus said like this, right? Pray like this. And then he gave them and us a prayer that followers of Jesus have been praying for over 2,000 years. All over the world. Like, just think about how that links us all together as the family of God. Followers of Jesus have been praying this prayer that Jesus told them to preach for 2,000 years. And he literally breathed this prayer out of his mouth. He said these words, we pray a prayer that Jesus said out of his mouth. And so every time we join him in that prayer, we're standing on holy ground with him. What an awesome reminder. And so let's take all of that and put that at the forefront of our hearts and minds as we dive back in to Luke 11. I'm going to move through it slowly, breaking down the Lord's Prayer as we go as well, so be prepared for that. But again, here's how it starts out. Verse 1, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. The first thing that just captures my attention is that Luke decided to record that Jesus was praying in a certain place. So there was something intentional about when Jesus was praying and where he was praying. Like I love that that's, again, something that Jesus takes seriously. It's not just about words. It's about the wholeness of who he is being present with the Father. And so he went to a certain place at a certain time to do a certain thing. There was intentionality in his prayer. And then the other part that I love about this is that they saw him praying, right? Which just begs the question for ourselves, who's watching you and what are you teaching them? Like that, just spin that around and you're like, oh wow, that's a good thing to think about. Because they watched him live this way and they said, I want some of that, will you teach me? Are people even asking us to teach them something? Is there something worth seeing in our lives? Certainly we see that in the person of Jesus. And so they ask him to teach and he says, okay, verse two, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. 
Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and don't let us yield to temptation. He starts this whole thing out. Father, may your name be kept holy. There's one other account where Jesus is giving this Lord's prayer and it starts in Matthew six and he says, our father. And he means the same thing here because it's, it's this bigger picture that he wants you to grab a hold of. Our father, we're not praying to my father when we're praying. We are a family unified around the God who we pray to. And that's how we find intimacy with one another as well as God. He's never wanting to separate himself from his people. He wants all of those things to always be intertwined. And so Jesus teaches us to call God Father, our Father. And as we do that, we are participating with him in calling on the name of the Father to bring about the revolution and the change that God is always bringing. And so here what we find is not just familiarity or intimacy, we also find hope that God is doing something and Jesus wants us to join him in that. And so our hearts enter into prayer acknowledging that God is devoted to us, his children, as our father. And there's hope in that. And so we praise him, may your name be kept holy. N.T. Wright says, Jesus too, like us, went on learning what it actually meant to call God Father, which is just a beautiful thing to think about, that even Jesus was learning what this meant to pray in this way. Even he didn't have it all dialed in and figured out. And N.T. Wright finishes that by saying, and the learning process for Jesus was only complete when he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. At the very end of it all, when he fully surrendered himself to the will of the Father. Jesus is inviting us to pray as Jesus' people, his people, a family united in the kingdom of God. Which leads to the next part of the prayer. May your kingdom come soon. May your kingdom come soon. In praying the Lord's prayer, we are actually entering into living the Lord's prayer. We are the kingdom bringers that God is using. When we pray, may his kingdom come soon, it's not would we all get to heaven really quick. It's that he actually wants heaven to come to earth and in doing so, we join him in that work. And so we are the answer to that prayer again as his kingdom bringers. We look to the Father who now gives us a new way to see the world and that transitions as we pray, may your kingdom come soon and now we begin to see the world as he sees it. Again, as N.T. Wright says, he says, we're praying as Jesus was praying and acting for the redemption of the world, for the radical defeat and uprooting of evil and for heaven and earth to be married at last, for God to be all in all. And if we pray this way, we must, of course, be prepared to live this way. This has to be how we live. And so we pray and we don't simply shrug our shoulders and go, all right, your will be done, God. What we're doing when we pray that is we're agreeing to participate as healed healers, as his church, to bring about this kingdom that Jesus is announcing. That's why his prayer is different. 
That's why they're going, teach me to pray this way. What is it that we're a part of now? And then he transitions into this crazy statement that doesn't seem to be connected at all. He says, give us each day the food we need. And you may be more familiar with the translation, give us this day our daily bread. Right, food, bread, same thing. But when we pray, give us today the food we need, we're praying that we would also begin to feast on the word of God. That there would be something in us that allows us to access God and what he's teaching us as well through his word. What's interesting is if I was to write the Lord's prayer, which would be Chris's prayer, right? It would probably start with something like, give me what I need today. Here's what I need. And I would go through a list of all of the things I need. But as we follow Jesus' teaching on prayer, we find that if we pray for our needs up front, as most of us, I think, are often prone to do, then we get here too quickly and we let our greed overrun the grace of God. We become our list first. And that's why he says, no, we start with Father, our Father, the one who unites us as a family, the one whose name is holy and above all. That's why he says, now be about the kingdom. May the kingdom come soon. This is again for all. And then we get to the food that makes it more practical, more tangible, more personal. And praying for food, right, or bread, is again aligning us with Jesus in the way that he viewed the world. Some people say that Jesus ate his way through the gospels, right? He's always eating, He's always eating with people. And so to pray for our food each day is to say, we want to eat as Jesus eats. And who does Jesus eat with? And that's what we evaluate. And we look at our own tables and the own places we eat. And we say, are we eating with those that Jesus ate with? And even as Luke keeps writing about food, Right, it seems he's linking all of the times that Jesus is talking about food. Right, he feeds the 5,000 where he blesses the bread and then he breaks it and distributes it. Right, or the Last Supper where he's with his disciples before he goes to the cross and, and he blesses the bread and he breaks it and distributes it. He, then he calls himself the bread of life. Right after he's crucified and raised from the dead, he's heading to this town called Emmaus with these two disciples who have no idea who he is. And it's when they sit down together and Jesus blesses and breaks the bread, their eyes are opened and they see him. Where we eat, when we eat, what we eat seems to matter. And so we pray, sustain us, Father. We can't look past this prayer for something physical to eat. Like it's a literal prayer to pray for something daily to eat. And I, I, I would acknowledge that maybe most of us have a tendency to overlook this part of the prayer because we haven't often, many of us here, spent a whole lot of days wanting for food. Like where we were, like I wonder where it's coming from today. I know some of us have, but a lot of us have not. And so there's something physical and tangible about this that God wants to provide what it is you need And what's so crazy to me is he wants to continue to use us, his kingdom bringers, to bring the bread. You might actually be the answer to someone else's prayer of praying, give me today the food I need. How wild is that? Again, 2,000 years people have been praying this all over the world and you might be, as you pray for the kingdom to come soon, the answer to somebody else praying, give me today the food I need. 
Our natural longings, our physical longings for food to sustain us remind us of our spiritual longings, the spiritual food we need from God to sustain us. And that's why this is communal bread, our food, our daily bread, because we cannot now see our need without also seeing the needs of those around us. It unites us and links us together as the family. And then Jesus doesn't even start a new sentence and he just transitions into this from the food, he says this, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And it went from, here's our father in heaven, right? His name's holy. And then it went from his kingdom coming soon. And then it went to like, give us something to eat. And now it's like straight to the heart because it's about forgiveness, right? And we, we can't pray, forgive us our sins if we don't also pray as we forgive those who sin against us. So as we are praying and learning to align ourselves with the thinking and living of Jesus, I believe it's in praying for forgiveness and to forgive that we are most deeply transformed. Breathing in what Jesus is doing so that then we might come alive to his life. And it's at this point that I finally realized this link that Jesus makes as he's teaching this prayer between the food and the forgiveness. Because there's not long after this in Luke 15. This is Luke 11. And in Luke 15, Jesus tells this story. He tells three stories, actually. But first, what happens is there's a group of religious leaders who are all bent out of shape because Jesus keeps eating with, like, the worst people, the sinners, those on the margins, those oppressed, those on the outside looking in. He keeps eating with them. And everybody's like, Jesus, what, like, what is it? Are you like them? Are you them? What's going on, right? They're all, they're all bent out of shape. And Jesus is like, I, I know you've been watching the way I eat. And so he says, let me tell you three stories. The first story is about a lost sheep. The second story is about a lost coin. We can talk about those some other time. The third story that he tells is about this son. This younger son, he gets his dad's inheritance early. He asks for it and he leaves town. And he goes and he spends it on, on like the wildest life you can imagine. Everything in his life hits rock bottom. But you know why his life ultimately hit rock bottom? Not because he wasted the money and not because he didn't have any worth, but because a famine swept the land. There was no food to eat. There was no daily bread. And so as he's out there going like, what am I gonna do? He decides he's gonna come home to his father and see if he can at least be a servant. And you would expect the father to not be real chill about the whole situation, right? But instead, he had been looking for him. And he saw him a long way off. And the moment that he came towards home, he sprints to him. And when he sprints to him, he grabs him in this embrace and he hugs him and he kisses him and he clothes him. And he calls him his son. And then guess what they do? They eat. You see the link? It's so hard to sit at a table and eat with someone while harboring unforgiveness. These things are always all linked together. And so having received God's forgiveness ourselves, we are to practice it amongst ourselves. And not to do so would mean that we haven't grasped what is going on in the kingdom of God, that this is the backwards way of the kingdom where there is forgiveness. Let, let me just tell you this, right? Like to forgive people and to ask for forgiveness are two things that are very sucky. Like they are not fun. And every time you do them though, and you go first and you step into that, you find it's this backwards thing. Trust gets built. Relationships deepen when you forgive and seek forgiveness. 
There's, there's something that happens in a community of people when there is forgiveness flowing through it. And so as soon as someone in one of our communities refuses to forgive a fellow member, he or, he or she is saying, in effect, I don't believe that the kingdom of God has arrived. I don't think the forgiveness of sins has actually occurred. I don't think this is a real thing. And so to pray this is to live in love and peace and unity with all of our Christian brothers and sisters, not just in words, but through a transformed life that follows the way of the cross, sacrifice, forgive, sacrifice, forgive. Because all of this again points to Jesus doing exactly what he prayed. If you remember, it's in Luke's account as well. Jesus is hanging on the cross and he looks down at the people who have put him there and he says, Father, forgive them. To pray is to change and to be shaped into a life in which when they're time and you just don't want to forgive the most, you actually can because you know that's the way of the kingdom. And then he finishes this prayer in Luke and he says, and don't let us yield to temptation, right? Don't let us give in to temptation. The thing is that Jesus is speaking again from something that he knows much about, right? His whole ministry began. The spirit descended on him, led him into the wilderness and in the wilderness, he was tempted. He knows what it means to be tempted. And so again, we align our hearts with his and we pray that we would not give in to temptation because temptation will come. We will all be tempted. That seems pretty clear. We know that to be true. But as we pray, temptation then becomes just an opportunity to choose our allegiance. When temptation comes, the temptation itself is not bad. It's not sin, right? To be tempted is not that. Jesus himself was tempted. But it becomes an opportunity to choose your allegiance. Will you choose the destructiveness of sin and give in to the temptation in the way of the evil one? Or will you choose your allegiance to the kingdom of God? And so again, temptation becomes an opportunity to choose the things that Jesus is about. And you know how he fleshes this out himself again. He finishes his life, right? The last place where he's praying these prayers is in the garden of Gethsemane. And they haven't come and arrested him to crucify him just yet. And as he's there praying, what he's praying is he's tempted to go another way. And so he says, Father, could there be another way? Could there be another way? And then ultimately, because he's been living in this way his whole life up to this point, right? He says, no, Father, your will, not my will be done. He follows the will of the Father. And then he transitions into this little story. Like, wouldn't it be great if that was the end of the whole teaching on prayer? It'd probably be good for you guys, but I got more here because he kept going. He kept going. Here's the story. Now, pay, pay special attention to this story. Don't try and solve it just yet, okay? This is just a good old-fashioned Jesus parable. So here, here's what he says in verse five. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. Are you seeing why it's already, it's already a little interesting, okay? Just keep, keep paying attention to how silly this thing is. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed, I can't help you. But I tell you this, Though he won't do it for friendship's sake, 
If you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. All right, I love this story. I hadn't spent much time with this story until I started preparing for this sermon, but it, it should crack you up. And then nobody's cracked up yet. Uh, and that's, that's your fault. But here, here's what's going on. Or like, let's maybe call this like the, the friend at midnight. That's the name of this parable, right? Because obviously friendship is a theme that runs through this parable. How many times does he use the word friend or friendship in just a few verses? So there's something that he's speaking to us about friendship. But for some reason, this strong bond of friendship is not enough for this friend to get up and open the door. And I think at first we start to be all like bitter with the friend who won't get up and give him his food. But think about it. If your friend came over at midnight, first of all, hold on. In, in this day and age, right, as Jesus's listeners are hearing this, they live in a place without gasp electricity, so light does not end whenever they want it to, right? Like, so it was dark for an extended period of time at midnight, okay? They, they had been asleep, everything had been settled. What friend comes over knocking on your door at midnight and guess what he's looking for? Three freaking loaves of bread, right? That's what he wants. He wants three loaves to give to his friend who showed up at his house at midnight. I don't know. Okay, so, they, so we've got that going on, right? And apparently, because they're friends, it's not enough to get up. And, I, and I'm not gonna lie, I can kind of relate to that, right? Like, no, especially if you have kids. I don't have kids, but if you have kids and you've got everybody under control for the night, do you want somebody slamming on your door at midnight looking for loaves of bread? No, is the common answer I get from parents, right? You don't, you don't want that. So here, here's Jesus is saying, what maybe the point of all of this is simply persistence. Friendship's important, yeah, but there's persistence, like never giving up. But what's so interesting is Jesus' expression at the end of this story, right? He calls it shameless persistence. The friend has no sense of decency of waiting until morning, of not disturbing his sleeping neighbor. He is shameless in going to his house. And he goes at midnight and he knocks for some bread. I think he was probably shouting, give me today my daily bread, right? Like he's just hammering on that, asking for his bread for that day. And he shamelessly out there in the middle of the night, hammering away, keeps knocking, keeps knocking, keeps knocking until his neighbor gets up and like shoves bread through the door just to shut him up, right? And Jesus seems to be highlighting like this shamelessness, this brashness, this boldness, right? This chutzpah, right? Like he just, he came with it. And, and at this point in time, I think, you're, I think you're getting there a little bit with me. Jesus' original hearers, they would be chuckling. Like this is a silly thing because in a, in a typical Jewish home, they shared some of that space essentially with their barn animals, right? They had like a designated sleeping quarters. It wasn't like chickens on the bed, right? And like a, a cow in your face when you turned over. It wasn't that kind of thing, but they, they shared a general living space together. So to shut the door up is to get everybody asleep. All the chickens, all the whatever, all the kids, they're in the bed, right? Like you, who wants to get up? and see any of that happen. And so they have this image of the friend outside knocking, 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 and the guy gets up. He's like, he's like stepping over. He's stepping over cattle. He's stepping over chickens, right? Everything's up again. And, and the whole house is just in flux now at midnight because this guy needed some bread. So it's humorous, okay? 
And everything in here is way funnier than we give it credit for. That's what's surprising about this. And so at this story, they're all chuckling and listening and like Jesus is using humor to engage him again. And then he says this in verse nine. This is the, the pithy quid pro quo. He says, and so I tell you, Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks the door will be opened. What is it? You do this and you get that. Ask and you receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door's open. They're all saying the same thing. Keep praying. Keep doing it. Keep at it. It's not necessarily about receiving the thing that you think you want on your list of things you want. It's that you would keep at it. Keep going. And then he finishes like this. He says, you fathers, which is him just drawing this connection to, right? He taught us to pray, father. And now he's connecting it to an earthly father. And he says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. First of all, you're not thinking that's funny either. That's supposed to be funny as well. Like, can you just imagine this happening? Who would literally do that? Like, your kid comes up to you and is like, hey, could I have an egg? And you're like, scorpion, right? Nobody does that, right? That, that's, that's his point. He's like, get, get around the imagery, get around the feeling that you have when you hear something like this. He says, of course, that's not how it would work. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit is a gift the Holy Spirit dwells within us. The Holy Spirit is what moves our prayers from transaction to transformation. It takes us from just trying to get something out of our prayers to realizing that prayer is about transforming our lives into the way of Jesus. The, the notion that repeatedly we must bang on the doors of heaven if we're to catch God's attention is hardly an appropriate theology of prayer. That's not what the story means. It means, right, that, that there are good gifts that the Father longs to give for us, gifts that transform our lives so that we can see and live and do as Jesus did. And so he points us to the very best gift he could give us, and that is the Holy Spirit. Jesus says so in the Gospel of John. He says, guys, here's the deal. I'm gonna have to go away, but it's gonna be good because I've got a gift for you, the gift of the Spirit. And so it's this reminder, his gift is that he himself will dwell with us always within us. He will never leave us. He's always with us. How amazing and beautiful is that when that's where this whole little teaching on prayer ends and culminates in, right? Do you, do you long for a full portion of the Holy Spirit too? Jesus promises that your father in heaven will give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him and you will be changed, that's good stuff, at least I think so. But we get to this point where you're like, all right, cool, we could all go right now. And I still don't think we've answered the question, do you actually pray like this? Do you actually pray like this? Because to learn to pray is to train our prayer muscles to stretch in ways that don't come naturally. For instance, 
to pray for our enemies as Jesus asks us to do is a very difficult task. I don't know if you've known that. If you've tried praying for your enemies, it's terrible, right? It's a, it's a hard work. Because I don't know about you, but when, when I've been deeply wronged or hurt by someone or those I love or care about have been deeply wronged or hurt, the prayers that come naturally to me are for my own vindication or that God would reveal to that other person what a jerk they are. All right, like, again, not super helpful. Those prayers do little to shape me into a person capable of loving my enemies. But by praying this 2,000-year-old prayer, my heart inches toward forgiveness and love, and in spite of myself, as we ask, that we may forgive those who sin against us. Prayers like this form us into people who simply move differently through this world. And they bring us back then to spontaneous prayer with new habits and new patterns and new hearts. Eugene Peterson says this, he says, the reason why our prayers so often fall flat or come out stale is because they have been uprooted from the soil of the word of God. This pattern that Jesus gives us reminds us how to prioritize the prayers we pray. Praying like this shapes us into the likeness of Jesus, the one who prayed. And so we must pray. You know this, and I know this, and we know this. But where do we begin? Let us begin together today. Here's what we're gonna do. Something totally different than we've ever done before. I'm gonna teach you a way of prayer that, that I've been learning over the last couple years. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be a little different, is that okay? Whatever, it's okay. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to get in a comfortable posture, like sit up straight, get your feet flat on the floor, right? Because the, the idea of this is that our posture would match the heart, right? Like our physical bodies would match the, our hearts. We would be expectant and engaged and ready, our feet would be flat on the floor because we would be firmly present and planted in the place that we're walking and living right now. And so we would say with our bodies, God, we're ready to hear from you. And so then what we're gonna do here, now that you've got good posture and a good seating, we're gonna do what I call palms down, palms up prayer. Okay, and, and I'll explain it all and then I'll, I'll walk you through it. So palms down is how we'll start. And so as you're sitting like this, you would just put your palms down on your thighs. Uh, and what, what will happen when you're doing that is you're going to release to God. So whether that means you need to ask for forgiveness, there's sin you need to release to God. Maybe there's fear you've been holding in your heart. Maybe there's uh, just this lack of patience with the world around you or your family. Maybe it's your frustration. Maybe it's sadness. Whatever it is that's in you now in this moment that is not of God, you can release that to him. And so again, that the posture of our bodies would match the desire of our hearts. And so our palms would be down. And I'll let you do that here in a minute. You don't have to start now. And you'll do that as long as you need to do it before you switch. And so then when you're done with that, you'll flip your palms over and you'll put them on your legs and you'll do palms up. And when the palms are up, what you're doing is you're receiving from the Lord. 
So whatever it is probably that was in is the opposite end of the spectrum of what you released. And so receive the love of God for the person that you found unlovable. Receive eyes to see the world as he sees it. Receive boldness to to say the thing you need to say. Receive forgiveness from him for the sins that you've committed. Receive whatever it is that you need to receive from him that is in line with who he is and what he's like. And then when you're finished with that, what I typically do is I just pray slowly through the Lord's prayer. And so you just, you can, it's on your notes page, it's in the Bible, you can, whatever you remember in your head right now, you can use that. And what we're gonna do, and this sounds a little crazy, is I'm gonna give you three minutes to do this, okay? Now, it seems like an eternity, I know, if it's only three minutes. And, and so whenever you're ready, you'll start with your palms down. And whenever you're ready to turn them over and do palms up, you can do that. And whenever you're done with your palms up, you can pray through the Lord's prayer. And then I'll kind of like amen us and, and pray us out in three minutes. Does that sound like something you can do? Okay. All right. Three, three minutes for real. Here we go. Let's pray together.
Father. We love you and we thank you for the gift of prayer. Pray that we would keep your name holy. You would bring your kingdom soon through us that you would continue to allow us to participate as kingdom bringers. Pray that you would give us the food we need and the food that all people need. Perhaps we are an answer to that prayer. God, move us in that direction if we are. God, would you forgive us of our sins? And would you help us to forgive those who sinned against us? And God, would you not let us yield to temptation, not let us give in to temptation when we are faced with it. Would we choose allegiance to you and the kingdom that you're bringing, God? God, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that dwells within us and allows for us to have intimate relationship with you. And so, God, would you continue to teach us to pray? Would we become people of prayer, people who are rooted in intimacy with you, God? And as we become transformed through our prayers, would we then go and live the life that your son Jesus lived and live it as if he were us? God, for your glory, so that we would continue to point people to you, that we would serve people as you long for them to be served, that we would meet the needs that need to be met and that we would see all of the world and all of the people around us, including the people in our own homes as you see them, God. We thank you that you're a patient teacher. May we continue to have humble hearts to be shaped and formed by you in the ways of prayer. And would we be intentional just as Jesus was intentional about finding places to pray, when to pray, how to pray, God. And may we not be guilt-ridden by what we don't know or the ways that we've prayed in the past or whatever that might look like. Would you set us on a fresh course today, Lord? That we would be people who continue to fall more and more in love with you. We thank you that you loved us first. We pray these things in your name. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.